0: Well, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together to study your word, to to see what you would want us to consider and ask you to lead and guide us as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 30, continuing from verse 27. And we've been talking about the judgment of God coming upon uh, the Assyrians, so we're going to continue there. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from far, burning with his anger, and the burden thereof is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue is a devouring fire. And his breath, as an overflowing stream, shall reach to the midst of the net to sift the nations with the sieve of vanity. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. Ye shall have a song as as in the night when the solemn assembly is kept, and gladness of heart as when one goes with a pipe to come to them into the mountain of the Lord to the mighty one of Israel and the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard and shall show the lightning down of his arm with with the indignation of his anger and with the flame of a devouring fire with scattering and tempest and hailstones for though the voice of the Lord shall for, me, for through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrians be beaten down, which smote with a rod. And in every place where the grounded staff shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be with tibrets and harps and battles of shaking. With the fight will, will he fight with. For to is ordained of old. Yea, for the king is prepared. He has made it deep and large. And the pile thereof of is fire, and much wood, the breadth of the Lord, like, the st- like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. So we're seeing a pretty uh, vivid picture of judgment coming upon them. So verse 27, Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger. The burden thereof is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue as a devouring fire. So we look at this, behold or, or see, you know, observe the name of the Lord. And we've talked about name. When we look at name in the scriptures, it is all about the reputation of the person. It's not just the name. And in reality, for us, it's not maybe not as true today as it used to be, but name is everything uh, for most families. You know, you want to keep a good family name, a good name for your business. Uh, you don't want it tarnished by anything so when we even in our day we we're, even though we're losing that uh, impression name is more than just a name uh, you know companies fight very hard to protect their name if somebody comes in and tries to use their name or another product or or for bad things they'll fight hard to make sure their name isn't tarnished by by some other reputation or been maligned by activities done by employees and so God with his reputation is going to come from afar. And he is from Israel at this point in time. He is far, even though they're his people, they've pushed him quite far away. And he says he's going to come from afar, burning with his anger. And God has a point where he says enough is enough. And he comes with an anger. And anger that his reputation is being destroyed. And this is something that we as Christians have to be aware of. It is very easy for people to look at us and say, you know, is that how a Christian is supposed to act? Now, we are not perfect and we know we're not perfect, but you know, we are God's representatives and we're supposed to act in a certain way. You know, we're told in the New Testament that we are ambassadors, we're in this world as ambassadors. And when an ambassador goes to a foreign country, they represent the country they're from. So if they go out and they get drunk and be stupid, then they're going to look at it and go, "Well, what kind of country? What kind of country are you from?" Uh, if they do things that are against the law, they're going to be looked at. You know, well, this is what your company is, you know, country is a lawless, lawless country. And so for us as Christians, we need to show forth the citizenship that we have with God. And that's something that is beyond what we can do, but we still need to try and do things honestly, run our businesses honestly, you know, handle our family honestly. When we give our word, we keep our word. And this is a big deal in our, in our day and age. You know, most, A lot of people don't keep their word. And you know, we need to be able to stand up and say, I am a Christian. And it should affect all aspects of our life. Now, as people, we're really good at trying to divide our life up. Okay, I'm at church. This is my Christian world. Uh, later on, I'll be at home. That's my family world. You know, tomorrow morning, I'll be at work, and that's my work world. And a lot of times, people will divide up their, their life and say, okay, God, you, you can be in my church world. No problem. You're, you're my church world. Might let you into my family world. But God, you stay out of my business world. You know, to be in business, I've got to be able to do certain things, and God, you just got to stay out of it. We've got to be careful as Christians that we don't divide our world like that. God is to be part of our world in every part, in every way, being honest in, their, in our dealings. And he says, God's anger, and he says, the, and the burden is heavy, and his lips are full of indignation, and his tongue a devouring fire. This is not a pretty picture. His words are indignation, anger. And indignation is even deeper than anger. Okay, there's a deep anger there that is going, you've offended me bad and I'm going to get, get back. And his says that his uh, lips are full of, and his tongue as a devouring fire. Have you ever been exposed to somebody whose speech can make you feel totally miserable? Maybe you're not even being totally abusive, but you know, they just, by the time you get done with you, you feel like you're about three inches tall and, and totally worthless. Uh, this is the type of picture that's being talked here. You know, not that he's trying to make us feel bad, but he says his tongue is so powerful, and his speech is so powerful that he's devouring people with it. And the tongue is something that can be very dangerous. How easily do we say things that we know we shouldn't say and hurt people? And once things are said, they can't be unsaid. Uh, and that's why we have to be so careful about what we say and how we say it. And sometimes you can say the right things and, and say it in the wrong way. Which is why I say, you know, when we're trying to talk to somebody about sin in their life, you know, as a, as a fellow Christian, it needs to be done by love because we could be. Have the right attitude, you know, the right heart attitude, and come across completely wrong if we're not very careful. And this is God speaking. He says, "I'm going to, I'm coming with vengeance." And when God's patience is done, look out, Uh, because He's going to come with great power, great authority, and devour. And we've all been there at some point where we've walked away from God in some area, or we've sinned and we haven't repented and God says, okay, here we go, I'm I'm gonna give you your punishment. And God's punishments are just this, devouring. They they make us feel miserable until we repent. And then sometimes we face the consequences of them and we are still somewhat miserable even though we know we deserve it. And they don't even have to be big sins to have consequences. They can be little things that have long-term consequences that don't really affect anybody but us and our relationship with God. You know, some place where we just don't trust God and we move out in the flesh. And God says, well, I had a blessing for you, but now you're going to live under the consequence of trying to do it your way. And that can be, you know, not a huge sin, but not trusting God is a sin. Yeah. And it's a sin we all commit at some point in our life, many times over, not trusting him. And there's consequences for not trusting him. And he says, and his breath is an overflowing stream Uh, his breath as an overflowing stream shall reach to the midst of the neck. This is picturing a flood that goes all the way up to your neck. Now, whether you're talking about a horse's neck or our own neck, it doesn't matter. It's deep. And God says it's going to be so hard that you're not going to be able to survive. And if you're in a flood that's neck deep, you're not standing still. You are going to be swept away because that much water will move you. I mean, we, they keep warning us, don't even drive through the washes when the water is running, because you don't know what you're going to run into. And people have tried to walk across or get their car stuck in them because they're deeper than they thought, or rocks are flowing in them and, and jamming them up. Can you imagine a flood that's so deep that it goes up to your neck? Yeah, that's a four five six foot <laughs> flood. Uh, and he says, that's how deep you're going to be in when God's breath comes down upon you. And, you know, I can't, even, I can't even figure, you know, picture that one, you know. How much trouble is somebody in if they're getting that much flooding of God out of their life? And yet I've seen people that have had major problems because they don't give up their will to God. And for us as Christians, our job is to repent quickly. You know, when God says you've done wrong, repent. When he starts judging you and, and disciplining you, repent quickly because it only gets worse. And this is what he's saying. Israel, you're, you've gone so far, you're going to be in a flood, neck-deep flood. And not literal, little, but from his anger. And he says he will sift the nations with the sieve of vanity And Siv here is a winnowing fork where they they throw the weed up. He's going to judge nations. And he judges nations, and this is something that we need to keep in mind. It, It oftentimes appears that nations get away with stuff. But nations end up being judged. They're going to be judged at the White Throne judgment as well. And they're going to be leaders what did you do? Why did you do it? And they're going to be held accountable for all the lives that they've affected. Good or bad, and they're going to be said. Okay, you did this right. You did all these things wrong. And our country is in trouble for a lot of what's going on. For a lot of what's going on, we've got a lot of things that are right in our nation, but we've got a lot of things that are going going very bad in our nation. And we've got a lot of leaders that are going to have to be held accountable. If you're not doing things God's way, the fixes will never work because there's consequences for doing things the wrong way. And the ends never justify the means, or the means never justify the end. Let me get that term turned around the right way. Uh, You know, you go, well, I did this because I want this to happen. Nope, doesn't, you know, there's consequences for doing things the wrong way. And God's saying that the nations are going to be shifted out. They're going to be shaken. They're going to, what is good, what is bad? And they're going to be judged accordingly. Uh, Israel's being judged accordingly, they, they as a nation have, have drifted away from God. Assyria is going to come in as God's tool to discipline them, and God's going to say later on, you were so vicious to my people that now you're being judged in return. Okay, God used them and then said, no, you were, you were, too, you were too vicious on my people. Babylon's going to come in and, and, and judge Assyria and take the southern kingdom, and God's going to say the same thing to them. You were too vicious. And he's going to use the Medo-Persian empire to conquer them, and they gave, put Israel back in, in their homeland. So we see that there's always, and I say this over and over again, and I hope we always understand that there's always consequences to what we do. And if there are bad things that we're doing, bad consequences will come. How serious are the consequences? Well, it depends on how bad <laughs> what you've done is. Some consequences are just nuisances that make your life miserable for a while. Some are really severe consequences. If you're if you're breaking some major issue from the scripture and you know what you're doing and you purposely do it, your judgment and consequence is going to be a lot worse than just, okay, God, I made a really bad decision. I really wasn't thinking about you when I made that decision. And we all go through it. And we all make bad decisions sometimes and have to suffer those consequences. And You know, hopefully some of them are short and just minor. Some of them are really hard consequences. But God is going to make sure that we know that we've done wrong. Or sometimes we get consequences. We like to call them rewards for doing right. And those are the good ones. We like those ones. We need to do more of them than than we normally do. But he says they're going to be shaken, and there should be a bridle in the jaws of the people causing them to err. Now this is kind of an interesting statement. There's going to be a bridle, and if you know anything about the bridle of a horse, we use it to control the horses, and from what I understand, there's all kinds of different types of bridles. There's some that if you have a real spirited horse and you want to control them, there's some that will cause more pain, you know, if they try to, and then if you have a really mellow horse, there's just a bit, you know, bridle that will it just fits in their mouth, and you, you know, turn and everything. I don't know a lot about them, but you know, I'm, underst- I'm understanding that there are multiple types of bridles. Yeah, there's pits that cause pain if they, if they get too much, and then there's just a simple, your horse is so, so nice and so tame and, and so responsive that you put a, put a... This bridle, in this case, would probably be the one that causes lots of pain and says you're going to do... But look what it's telling. It says causing them to err. This bridle is not keeping them from erring. It says you have gone so far that God's hardened your heart and you're going to go deeper into sin. The same thing that happened to Pharaoh back at the Exodus. The first couple of times it says he hardened his heart. And then about halfway through it says the Lord hardened his heart. Why? God already knew that he wasn't going to give up until he was forced to give up. And so God says, OK, fine. We're, not going to, we're going to make sure that when you send the people away, you are sending them away. You don't even want them anymore because you've hardened your heart. Who knows what would have happened if Pharaoh said, okay, you, know, you guys can go worship you know, when, when they first asked. You know, because the request for Moses was, we want to go into the desert and worship, and we're planning to come back. And when they left, they left completely. And so we see here that this bridle is going to be put in the mouths of the people, causing them to err, do wrong. Then verse 29 kind of starts a different little theme. You shall have a song as in the night when the holy Solomon Solomon is kept with and gladness apart as when one goes with the pipe toward the mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel. Now here he's picturing what goes on in their worship. All right. He says, you have a song as in the night. David, when he established the rules for the for the temple and, and in the tabernacle, he set up singers and musicians that played in the tab- tabernacle twenty four seven. Okay, there was music going on all the time and they were singing. So it was true worship. I mean, the people appreciated it when they came, but the worship really was toward God. And here he's saying, you shall have that song. You know, here he is talking about judgment, <laughs> being caused to error. And then he says, and I think he starts turning this, and, and when you finally repent, you're going to have a song in your heart. One of the greatest things about being a Christian is having that song and that peace in our heart where there's just a calmness. And he says, when the holy solemnity is kept, which I'm going to change this to what it says in the Greek, consecrated feasts, <laughs> sacred feasts. All right, And they had three major ones that, they, that all the males were to go to the te- temple for each year. So three times a year, all the men were to go to the temple and sacrifice. Women could go if they wanted to, but they didn't ha- but they weren't mandated. The men were mandated. Any man over 12 years old had to go to to the temple three times a year if he was going to be a good practicing Jew. Many times they weren't. When they were doing everything wrong, they didn't go to the temple, which is one of the things you notice about Jesus when he was raised. Mary and Joseph, it said they went and celebrated the Passover as was their custom. They went to the temple three times a year like they were supposed to, and Jesus went with them, at least when he was 12 years old because he was now of the age where he had to go. And that's if you remember when Mary and Joseph lost Jesus he lost because he stayed at the temple. 29th. <laughs> he said, you shall have a song in your heart as in the night of the solemn, the consecrated feast is kept with gladness of heart. As one that goes with a pipe to come to the mountain of the Lord, the mighty one of Israel. And this was talking about the processions. They would have processions up to the temple when they when they came for these big feast services and apparently from everything i've been able to read they were led with pipers you know uh, flutes and clarinets and those kind of things but they would come up and they would have a procession from jerusalem up the mountain to the temple and many of the last of the psalms are called the psalms of ascension and they would sing these songs as they went from the bottom of the up to the top of the mountain, they would sing these psalms and, and have a party. They were going to go worship God. And, you know, I think about this. How many people come to church with the drudgery in their heart, oh, I've got to go to church? And there's lots of people that are that way. It's just, I've got to go to church. I was talking to a young man today, and he was, he was sharing with me that he's finally learned what it means to want to serve God. He's one of the prisoners, and he's going, I've just started learning this. I went to church all my life and it was always a list of what I could and couldn't do and I was always concentrating on what I couldn't do. He goes, now I'm finding out that it's a relationship with God and it's fun. These people, when they went to worship God, basically had a party just going to the temple. You know, A a righteous party, not not a drunken orgy party, but a righteous party. We're having a good time. We're going to go see God. We're going to go worship God. We're going to give our sacrifice to God. What a difference we might have in, in our services if people came truly to worship God. Not to be entertained by, you know, well, I don't like that music we sang today, so I'm not here for, you know, for anything. Or I didn't like that message from the pastor today, so it was not a good time. No, we go to worship God. So, so our toes get stepped on in a, on a message or two. That's part of, part of being in a good church, you know. Do I, I'm the one that leads the songs, and I'm not always happy with every song we sing because I'm trying to give a variety of songs to that other people will enjoy singing. Here the people were going saying, we're going up there, we're celebrating. You know, we're in a procession being led by pipes, you know, music, instruments, going up the, leading a holy profe- procession to worship God. You know, and this is so important. Satan likes to attack us when it's time to go worship God. Those are, those are the times when we're going to have the, the last-minute phone call just before we're, we're headed out. It's going to be when we have our fight with our, our spouse or our child calling up at the last moment. It's going to be when everything breaks breaks up and tries to make life difficult for us because Satan wants to get us irritated when we come to church so that we're not focusing on God. And we need to get into this attitude of, I'm going to focus on you, God. You know. And there's just I just find it funny that there's this little vignette in here. He's talking about judgment, 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 and all of a sudden he talks about worship. And I think this is really in, in telling for us. When we're going through hard times and we feel like we're going through judgment, do we turn to God and worship him? Or do we pull away and say, God, you know, I'm mad at you. I'm not going to worship. And in the midst of all this judgment, he says, you're going to have a song in your heart. And you're going to rejoice and i think this is important how do we react and we talk about this how do we react when it seems that things are going bad now most of us leave out the word seems things are going bad and go things are going bad you know and and i don't like that term i really want i'm really teaching myself to look at when things seem to be going wrong when things seem to be going bad because god has a purpose whether it's my judgment and my correction or he's trying to teach me or he's asking do you really believe me I want to to worship him. I want to go go and follow him. Do I always do it? Nope. Nobody's always going to do it. The question is, do we do it more often than not? And hopefully we do. And the more we recognize that God has a plan for our life, the easier life is. We just turn and worship and say, all right, God, let's let's have some fun. (laughs) I'm going to worship you. I'm going to know that you're, you're in control. And God, I know that all things work together for good, so I'm just going to trust you. It gives you a lot of freedom. You know, hopefully you all are starting to experience that if you haven't already. You know, that It gives you a lot of freedom just to say, okay, God, you're in control. I don't understand a bit of what's going on, but I know that you've promised good, that you're trying to teach me something. Help me open my eyes so that I can see. And here in the midst of all of this stuff, it talk, starts talking about praise, all this judgment. Verse 30, it says, and the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard and shall show the lighting down of his arm and the indignation of his anger and with the flame of the devouring fire and scattering and tempest and hailstones. The voice of the Lord, the glorious voice of the Lord. Splendor, magnificent, majesty. Isn't it wonderful when you're in the midst of something just to hear God's voice speak to you in the stillness of your heart? Yeah, I love it when God all of a sudden gets my attention and you just go, okay, God, what, what was it? What are, you, what are you trying to tell me? And just being quiet and listening. And that, that voice may be coming through the word. It might come from another person. It might come through one of the pastors I'm listening to. But all of a sudden, I just hear God beyond what's being said. Deep down, I hear God speaking through somebody or something. And, you know, it's an amazing thing to me when I talk to somebody and go, well, you just believe in that make-believe God. I'm going, wow, I've got a, I've got a God that speaks to me. There's no make-believe in this, in this God. He gives me peace. He gives me, he gives me hope. He's blessed me in so many ways. That's not a make-believe God. But isn't it amazing when you talk to people? We, you really have two distinct groups. Those who truly know God and are beginning to see things his way and those that don't, don't believe God. And every once in a while you get a, this group in the middle that, you know, pretend to know God or aren't knowing God and don't really understand us but are trying to stay separate from the crowd. They need to get off the fence and either truly trust God or go and, go and be in the crowd because they're in a miserable place because they're living by rules and regulations and, and trying to get to know God, you know, by doing things their way. You know, they need to get off the fence because it's miserable being there. And if we've ever been there trying to follow rules, it's a miserable place to be. You now because usually you'll give up if all you're doing is trying to follow, follow rules you know I can't keep these rules and it's just making me miserable I'm just going to I'm just going to join the world and try to have fun because it's all about a relationship I don't I don't want to I don't try to become better a better because I think it's going to do any good but God in me is changing me from the inside to be more like him and I start obeying his rules not because I'm trying to, to get something, but because he is changing who I am, and because I love him, I get to lift him up and, and minister to him. You're in that state, they're not really brutal? No, they're not. Yeah. It's just we are being changed, and we're becoming more like him, and becoming more like him means we follow his rules because his rules, as we've talked before, are based in who he is. They're, they're guidelines, but not even just even guidelines. They are literally who he is. If you remember in the Truth Project, uh, Del Tackett did that, that one session about God's rules, and he goes, well, God wasn't in heaven flipping a coin. Let's see, murder is good or bad? The stealing, good or bad? No, he didn't just arbitrarily make a bunch of rules. He said, I am life, I created life, so therefore, murder is bad. Everything belongs to me, and I let people use it. Therefore, stealing is bad. And everything is based in who he is, so that when I become more like him, I automatically start obeying his rules. Not perfectly, because I still have the flesh involved, but I become more and more like him, and I find myself becoming a better follower of his rules, not i don't even follow following his rules. Being more obedient to his rules, I even that's not quite what I'm looking for. Being more god-like. Yeah, being more godlike. I'm I'm obeying his rules because I'm becoming more like him. Not that I'm going to be God, but I'm becoming more like him because he's inside me changing me. He's baptizing me into the Holy Spirit and changing who I am to be like him. And then because I'm being like him, I be I act more like him. I become more forgiving. I become more loving. I become less covetous because I really do accept whatever God sends my way. I be, you know, I'm know, i not thinking about stealing because I'm not being coveted in the first place. So we see all this prob- process going on and it says his glorious voice speaks to him. It is going to hear and he shall show the lightning, lighting down of his arm and this literally means he's picked up his arm to strike and it's coming down on the enemy. Okay, uh, the word in, in Hebrew literally means to descend. Lighting, lighting is not really a good, <laughs> good definition, but his arm is crashing down. And it has the picture of being armed. So he is bringing a destruction back on people. And when the indignation of his anger, the flame of the devouring, and the scattering, of the tempest, and the hailstones, and most people be, tie this in with the next verse of this all against Assyria at this point. Okay, he's going to discipline Assyria. Uh, why? Because Assyria was too vicious. You know, God used them to judge them, but they were too vicious. Same thing all through the, all through the period of judges. The Philistines would come in, and God would say, okay, you, you've, done, you've done enough damage, now I'm kicking you back out. You know, the Amalekites would come in, and he'd kick them back out. Uh, and verse 31, for through the voice of the Lord, shall the Assyrians be beaten down, which smote with a rod. All right. So with the voice of the Lord, God speaks. <laughs> and they are judged. You know, one, you know, this one reminds me of the, of the uh, end of the tribulation period when Jesus comes back. The enemy gathers against to fight him, and he speaks. It says a sword comes from his mouth. He speaks, and the battle's over. You know, what a battle. <laughs> Uh, they, don't, they don't do any harm to anybody on God's side, and he slays a whole lot of them with just a word. The power of God's word. With a word, God creates the universe. With a word, he creates the sun, moon, and stars. With a word, he creates all the animals. You know, the only thing he didn't create with a word is man. He gathered up dust and actually formed man as a special creation. And the power of God's word. And we have his word written down. In the beginning was the word, and the word became, became flesh, and the word dwelt among us was Jesus. But we have the word of God, the power of God to bring life and to bring death. I was, again, the man, gentleman I was talking to today, he was talking about how he grew up with a pastor who was always condemning and, and, and scaring people and fire and brimstone, and you've got to follow all these rules or you're going to go to hell and all these things. And he goes, he hated church because it was all rules. It was all, you know, God's word can be used the wrong way to, to bring harm, or it can bring life. Now, is there anything wrong with giving the rules and, and every once in a while giving a, a powerful fire and brimstone message? No, it is part of the scripture. God's rules are part of the scripture. Now, his rules are designed to show us that we need him. The law was not there to say, okay, if you guys keep all this, you'll get to go to heaven. It was to show us that we couldn't get to heaven, which is why Jesus died. Because if we could have gotten to heaven in any way without Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have come. He says, "Oh, you know how to get to heaven? Go, go obey the rules. But because we could not obey all the rules, he said, in God's standard is perfection, Jesus had to come to this world, die for our sins so that we could go to heaven. And the rules are there to show us that we need him. Plain and simple. We need God. And they're very good. You know, if we, you know, the Jews tell us there's 613 rules in the Bible and I'm going to believe them, but we can't even keep the 10 that everybody tends to know. We can't keep 10 of them. I don't even consider the other 613 of them. You know, other, other 603 above the 10. You know, We can't keep the 10 that everybody tends to know. You know, we're starting right at the right at the top, have no other gods before God. We tend to want to put idols in our life all the time. put something above God and just do anything, any, you know anybody, you know things, jobs, work, television, all kinds of stuff we put above God frequently. You know, the next one is you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. How easy is it for us in our day and age to use His name in vain? You know, we don't even think about it half the time. And that doesn't mean you're no, just using his name lightly, empty. Vain, vain is empty. You know, when people say, oh my God, and they're not praying to God, they're taking his name in vain. Well, you know, I hope to God this will happen. Most of them aren't praying to God for that to happen. They're using his name in vain. Oh my God that everybody's, you know, these days. You know, OMG. I've told. Well, that means. Oh my gosh! I go. No, it doesn't. I know what it means. <laughs> okay, uh, you may be using a euphemism now, but it still means what it means. You know, and using his name empty, it might even be saying a prayer, but using it empty with no expectation of it, of him listening or answering, is using his name empty. We've got to be careful. We we violate all the top, you know, all the top three frequently, and that doesn't even get into what Jesus said about the. and desiring things that's not ours. So coveting is one that we don't really think about much. Thou shalt not covet. And that's the one we break. Everybody breaks all the time. This country designed to get you to covet stuff. It's called coveting. We get to covet things we never knew we needed until we get told that we needed it machine to to boil your eggs because it is really hard to crack an egg after it's boiled. Uh, You need this machine to flip your pancakes because it's really hard to flip the pancakes with the flippers and just flip the whole pan over upside down. We look at these things you know and those are the silly ones but you know how many times have we got a very nice car and we just, oh man I just gotta have that car. Look at all the things that car has. I really need to have that car. No I don't. I got a perfect car that runs back and forth where I gotta go. But, you know, it's so easy to forget. And God says, I've got so much going going for you. And he's good. I've got a judgment. And he goes, I will bring judgment. And this is why it's so important for us just to be able to relax when somebody does us wrong and say, okay, God, vengeance is yours. You repay, and we just let him do it. You know, if we want to give vengeance, God will say, okay, fine, you can, take, you can try to do your vengeance. It'll backfire. You'll make a real big mess of it. But go ahead. If you really want to do things your way, get ready to suffer the consequences for it. And it's very important that we understand if we're going to do things our way, there's going to be consequences. When we disobey scriptural truth to do things our way, there's consequences for it. And God says, okay, well, you, you, you made your bed. You get to sleep in it. God, can you please get rid of this? Uh, I'm really sorry. Of course you're sorry after you've done it and and you're living in the consequences. Every single person that goes to hell is very sorry that they're there. They're going to be very sorry that they rejected God on all the occasions that they rejected him on. And God's going to say, I'm sorry too, but you're, you're where you wanted to be. You've made your decision. Once you're in the consequences, everybody wants out of it. You know, My my dad's favorite thing, and I use it with my own kids, you know, well, I'm sorry. And the statement is, are you sorry you got caught or are you sorry for what you did? Most Most of the time, it's you're sorry you got caught. Uh, And God knows it. You're sorry you got caught and you're suffering consequences, and that's too bad. You get to suffer the consequences. Every once in a while, He'll provide grace and take us out of the consequences or mercy. but that's not often usually he'll make us take the consequences now the good news for it is Romans 8:28 still applies all things work together for good even if I caused the problem it still will work out for good God will be lifted up he will be he will be glorified yeah so yeah even if I have yeah. totally messed things up God's gonna work it out for good and we're told that he will restore the years of the canker worm and the locust consumed, which means even when I've done things and I've lived in the consequences for a long time on it, God can still restore. He can still buy it back. You know, we go through a lot. We go through a lot of scars, but he can still buy it back. For those who get saved late in their life and they've made a miserable wreck of their family leading them down the wrong path, God says, I will restore. Doesn't guarantee the kids are going to come, but he says he will put in their life the opportunity to get them corrected because he loves them, even if we take them down the wrong path. And this is one of the reasons why we have to be careful about how we live in our liberty. We have liberty, Paul says, to do anything outside of the thou shalt not. <laughs> but we have the liberty, to, but is it expedient to do all things? I was listening to a pastor this morning who was talking about, you know, alcohol. We have the liberty to drink alcohol, but what harm would that do to somebody watching us? I, as a pastor, don't feel I have the liberty to drink because somebody might look and say, well, if pastor can drink, then it must be okay. And it may lead them into a lifetime of misery. It's not okay for me. It's It's not that I desire to anyway, but it's not okay for me. It wasn't okay for me as a father to be that kind of an example for my kids. And you know, I really have this very strong opinion that alcohol, drugs, all these things that pull us away from God that we depend upon God, instead of God are really bad. You know, people will talk, well, you know, marijuana just mellows you out. You feel really good. I go, well, let me mellow out with God. I want to mellow out with God. I don't need any artificial stimuli taking me away because that's God's place. He's the one that gives me peace. He's the one that gives me the joy i don 't need all these other things, and it really shows that we 're not depending on God if we get into these things. Well, God, I just need to have my drink to calm down and I can just picture God going well what 's wrong with me what 's wrong with my spirit what 's wrong with fellowshipping with me? God, I just need this to just relax you know god it 's been such a bad day, and I can just picture god saying well what's wrong what 's wrong with trusting in me you know, and we need to be careful about these things, and I know this gets into meddling, meddling especially for people listening on this, you know, it's, but you know, it really is, though. Is God enough? If he's not, we've got a problem with our relationship with God. Otherwise, he should be enough to be able to just trust in him. God, and I love it, I love trusting in God. You know, I've only been doing it for 48 years, it's been a great blessing to trust in him and just relax and say, okay, God, look, what are you, you going to do? What? And I'd sometimes look forward. Okay, God, how are you going to fix this one? And then sometimes i get stupid and go, okay, God, oh, man, God, I, I did it on my own. I've made a mess of things. I've got to face a consequence now. And, and I'm in one of those places right now. I'm in a consequence for some actions that I have done, and it's like, okay, I'm, all right, God, give me grace to get through it all. You know, because I know, I know what I'm in is because of my own fault. And I say, okay, God, I guess I'm going to learn to walk by, by grace and walk by your strength. Because he's still going to strengthen me even though I caused the problem and I'm going to have to learn just to bear that cross and say, okay, God, give me the grace to go through it. And he will. As, as irritating as it is, he'll give me the grace to go through it. And he gives us all the grace to go through it. We, you know, even when we make a problem. And a lot of times when it's our own, of our own making, it is for us to learn to trust him more later on. It's possible, too. <laughs> yeah. And I know that for a fact because I've had, I've had those cases where it was nothing that I had done that I was suffering for, and it touched others. So, yeah, it is, it is, all of this comes down to God teaching us something or teaching somebody else something. And it really does come all down to God's grace. He says, I'm going to let you learn. You get to learn from all of this. And now but you know he doesn't abandon us just because we got ourselves into it he doesn't abandon us. He still walks with us. Okay, we're going through some hard times but you know I'm still here. Yeah, we'll we'll together we'll get through it. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll through it. yeah. And that's the good news. That is the really good news of we're going to continue. And God is going to be with us. And he's still going to bless even though we're going through hard times, and he's still going to give us a peace that passes understanding, even when we did the things to mess up and, and cause the problems. And it says, his voice beats down the Assyrians, which smote with a rod, which goes into why, he, why he's smiting them. They, they were too harsh, is what he's saying. Uh, and in every place where the grounded staff shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be with tabrets, and with harps and the battles of shaking will be. Will he fight with it. Now, this is kind of an interesting verse because I had to kind of look, look at some of the commentators and none of them know what, what it's talking about. Uh, <laughs> literally the verse says, In every place where the foundation rod shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon him. I think that this is talking about God's word. Everywhere that his word shall pass will will God lay on them? Because what does God want us to do? He wants us to depend upon his word. Uh, many of them will talk about, you know, this is the, the bad abuse of the Assyrians. But there's a period in there, and we have a new, new statement here. So, uh, and I think the foundation rod is talking about God's word. In my opinion, it's worth what it is. Uh, again, if you read the commentators, they are all over the place with this verse. <laughs> Uh, which is why I don't usually like going to commentators because I was thinking Foundation Stone, God's Word, before I started reading the com- commentators, and a couple of them mentioned, mentioned that, and a couple others you know, did all kinds of weird things. Uh, so I'm going to stick with what I got the first time. Foundation rod is his word, and his, his word can be a rod to those that are in discipline, and we've all been there where, God, I really didn't want to read that. That hurt. <laughs> you know, didn't like that part. And it says, the Lord shall lay it on him. And then, I, you know, and then we go back to singing. It shall be with tablets or tambourines and harps. And in, and in battle of shaking, will he fight with it? And this whole idea of shaking, I think, goes back to the winnowing rods that were a couple verses back. God shakes out the, the people. And then I believe this is really talking about his miraculous way of getting things done. You know, it is an amazing thing to watch God work in our own lives and in other, li- other people's lives. He can sometimes be so gentle, and if the person won't respond to the gentleness, he'll be harsh. You know, I had, I had different, different children's personalities out there when I had my four kids. One of my children, if you looked at him, he'd cry. One of them, you had to beat him to death almost to get, him, get, him, get, a, get a message through to him. You know, each one of them, and God knows what it takes for us. He goes, Can I do it with music? We'll do it, we'll do it with music. We'll do it lightly. Or, Do I have to shake the daylights out of you? And I'm a stubborn person in many cases when it comes to God. There's times He's had to shake the daylights out of me. I'm getting better. I'm not usually as stubborn as I used to be in my younger days. But, you know, there's still times when I make the wrong decision. Okay, God, you know, but I'm usually a lot quicker these days to say, okay, God, I really messed up. What what, what are we going to go through, God? And I usually phrased it just like that. Okay, God, all right, what's it going to cost me? Uh, I really messed up, or you want me to do what? Okay, what, you know, how much is this going to cost? But he's looking for that tender heart. And as we become more like him, our heart will get more tender. And we go, okay, God. Yeah, all right. What what, 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 what do what do we want? <laughs> I really messed up? Okay, God. Discipline's coming? All right, God. What, what what's it gonna cost? How, how are we gonna do this? And the last verse for this chapter, for Topheth is ordained of old, yea, for the king is it prepared. He hath made it deep and large, and hath made it deep and, and made it deep and large. The pile thereof is fire and much would the breath of the Lord, like the stream of brimstone, doth kindle it." Topheth. That is a place west of Jerusalem. And it was a place where they burned children to the, to the idols. Uh, so there were multiple temples there that would have child sacrifices. So this is, he says, this is ordained of old or established, set in order. Jerusalem and Israel oftentimes had problems with deities. All right? We have problems in our day of sacrificing our children. We do it before they're born. We call it abortion. In their day and age, it was just the same thing. They just did it after they were born. And they did it for various reasons. If you worship the God of power and, and success you gave your child up as a show of God I, I want I want this blessing more than I want my child uh, some of them you just gave up your child just because they were inconvenient and you wanted to you know you know make it look good I'm offering them to the gods uh, you know and this has been a problem all through history all the way back to Nimrod they had child sacrifices going on it's been going on and we sacrifice the children. Then you had the fertility gods and goddesses where you, where you enjoyed sex as your way of worship. And then you had you know, all these different things that were, were they took the worst of man and then they worshipped it as a deity. And the way you worshipped those deities were by committing the sins that God said were sins. And there were the God that celebrated just about every sin that was out there. You know, the, the God of the thieves, you know, how did you worship him? You went out stealing. You know, I'm just worshiping, officer. I'm just worshiping today. Uh, sorry, you're still going. You're still going. you know, going to be picked up for stealing. But but I was worshiping. Yeah. Uh, and it says it's been ordained of old, or it's been set 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 in place from old. And it says for the king it is, it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large. So this false worship keeps growing. And we are seeing it being established in our world. We have so many false religions and false, false activities going on right now. And unfortunately, many groups that call themselves Christian are falling into that same, same sinful areas. And it gets deep and it gets wide. Every time you start giving room to Satan in a sin, it gets bigger. You know, if you've ever been there, you know what it's like. Whether it's drugs or alcohol or sex or, or, or thieving or stealing, it keeps getting bigger. You want the next bigger challenge, the next deeper thing, the, the next exciting thing, because the other part is just too simple. It keeps getting bigger. And it says, the pile thereof is fire. And this is talking about the pile of wood. You know, a bonfire type pile is talking about. And sin eventually burns. burns right from the beginning, but we may not recognize it right from the beginning. But eventually we get caught up in it, and it keeps adding wood wood to it, and we're getting that big prior, that big bonfire going, and we're going to get caught up in the middle of it eventually if we can keep sinning. And it says God himself lights the fire. If we don't listen, we don't repent, God will say, okay, fine, let's put a little fire under you. (laughs) And sometimes it might even be literal fire that he puts under us, or definitely spiritual fire. Says, okay, you're not paying attention, let me let me give you a little bit of a hot foot to start with, and if that's not enough, we'll put you in the, into the fire. Many of us have been there at various times where we've been in the fire, trying to fight God, trying to argue with God. And, you know, the one thing about it, God doesn't lose. <laughs> he will not lose, and if we're really gonna be stubborn, He'll take us home. If you're really gonna be totally stubborn and not repent, He'll take you home. So it's much easier to repent because before you you get taken to the taken home part, you go through a lot of trouble. And I've seen people that are in that midst of the trouble that just won't bend their will to God. And they're very stubborn. And hopefully, God is patient. He'll work with you for a long time. He did with me for seven years. You know, back when I was younger, I went seven years fighting God. And knowing that I wasn't knowing that I wasn't doing the right things, but coming up with new plans all the time. And finally just gave up. You know, one day I just said, I give up God. And it wasn't a literal voice, but I almost I really swear I heard about time. And everything just changed overnight. I'd lived my consequences for seven years. And all of a sudden gave up and God said, Okay, fine, let's fix your problems. He wants to be gracious to us. He wants to. He wants to give us blessing. He's a good father who wants to give us blessings and give us things. The problem is we usually doubt that. Most of us have this picture of of God up there and as bad as it is we kind of picture him with an eyedropper barely dropping down. Okay you get a teaspoon. Get a teaspoon of blessings. That's all I'm going to give you. You know, we almost picture him going, oh, you got a teaspoon and a half, nope, no more blessings for a while. A lot of people see God that way. You you got two drops of blessing? Oh no, you got way too much. You're, you, you you were double blessed, you're not going to get any more blessings for a while. That's not the God we serve. There are people that are afraid to serve God because they're just so afraid that he's going to hammer on them for serving him, for doing something wrong. And he's the type that he's you know, when he talked about the servants, you know, he said, you know, he even blessed the one that gave, you know, was a bad servant because he tried. And another one's just he his stuff. He says, you, you're a wicked servant. You didn't, even at least, you didn't even at least try. God says try. Do something. It was what I used to tell manager trainees. I'm going, do something. Make a decision. Be able to tell me why you made your decision, but Do something. Don't just wait and and see what happens. And God is doing the same thing to us. Do something. Step out. And do something. Serve me. And that can be any kind of service. It could be just learning to pray. It could be learning to read the Bible. Passing out tracts, witnessing, whatever. Inviting people to church. Whatever it might be, you step out. And I love it when people step out and you know a year later they go, man, I'm doing this all the time and it's so much fun. I love doing it. Good, that's exactly what happens. You're terrified when you first step out. Because anytime we do something new, it's terrifying. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, when you're trying to learn a new sport, it can be terrifying at first. Uh, the first time I did rappelling, it was terrifying to go over the edge <laughs> on a little skinny rope. It <laughs> uh, was a, kind of a terrifying experience. I, I trusted the rope, but it wasn't until I really got out there, it was like, oh, this is fun going down this, down this, down this side. You know? But every time we do something new, the first time I went off a 15-foot-high diving board was a very interesting experience, especially when it was on a raft <laughs> and it swayed. <laughs> it, was really, it was even worse than to be in a pool. But, you know, when we do these things that, that terrify us and God says, I, I love it, you're stepping out, you're doing something, and the blessings come, and God says, I'm going to honor that. You stepped out for me, I'm going to honor it. First time you go to teach a Sunday school class and you're terrified because you it's, do I know enough of the Bible? Do I know? Well, the good news is if you've been studying the Bible and you're being taught, you probably know more about the Bible than most people in the classroom. Yeah, you know, I've learned that. I learned it the hard way when I taught the older, the older gentlemen. I thought these guys, you know, in their 50s or 60s when I was only 30 would be make mincemeat out of me and I found out they didn't know a whole lot about the Bible. It was a shocking revelation, but you know, if you've, been, if you've been taught and you're studying, you probably know more about the Bible than most of the people that, that are around you. Step out. You know, Be brave. If God's calling you to teach, teach. If he's calling you to do a home Bible study, do a home Bible study. You know, but step out somewhere, whether it's sharing the gospel or whatever it might be, step out. Because God is the judge. He's going to be the one that defends. He's going to be the one that protects. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and to see what you would have us do. Lord, teach us to be your servants. Teach us to follow you in a great way. Lord, if anybody doesn't know you, we ask that they will admit that they're a sinner and that they need you and ask you to come into their heart and then follow you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen.